0: generations, how are we doing? It's good to see your pastor back in the house. Uh, Like, if your testimony wasn't radical enough, you get to add, like, a broken neck and a slit throat. Like, isn't that cool? Like, dude, so funny. (laughs) Just saying, man, wow, he's invincible with Jesus and God's people praying It's power in prayer, Amen. I want to start off kind of different this, this morning, and I'm going to ask you guys to just close your eyes and bow your head. And I want Jesus' words to wash over you. Our King and Lord says, what will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? what will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul what will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul you can raise your heads it seems as if we live in a time that it, it, that the wicked are prosperous and they're happier, and and I wonder if when we see the wicked prosper and doing well and getting ahead, does it really like get up under our skin? Are we tempted to want to be like them? This is a real temptation because bad people seem like they're doing really well in our world. And if we're honest with ourselves, there have been times, if if not even as recent as this week, that. We had wished that we could be like them. And in that moment, we become envious of wrongdoers. Teenage girls sometimes feel this sort of envy. They, they see other girls uh, around the campus and, and they see them showing off more than you probably should, and then they have the attraction of the boys, and then they wear modest clothes and they don't get that same attention. They wish they didn't live such a sheltered life or their parents wasn't so strict. I mean, those girls are popular. Maybe they are, and so maybe I should be like them. What is going on in that girl's heart at that moment? She is envious of wrongdoers. Psalm 27 begins with David writing this. He says, fret not because you're because of evildoers, be, and, and be not envious of wrongdoers. It's not just teenage girls. Adults, uh, we, we might feel this sort of envy at work. We see a coworker getting ahead by being deceitful. Maybe he plays the numbers, or, or he is a master at office politics. And he seems to be climbing the ladder uh, faster than you are. It's hard to admit, but you're a little jealous. And the thought crossed your mind whether you should be playing the game too. It's in that moment you are envious of wrongdoers. Maybe you're retired and your friend is not a believer. He never goes to church. He, he lives for himself, and he seems like he's doing way better than you. His 401K is bigger. His kids and grandkids seem to be prospering. As you look back, you wonder if following Jesus all your life was worth it. And it's in that moment that you are envious of wrongdoers. Maybe you're a man who's wondering if it's worth staying in your marriage. I mean, your roommate from college, he divorced his wife for no biblical grounds, and he married a younger woman, and he seems to be happier. You're envious of wrongdoers. Perhaps you're single and you want to get married, and your friend snagged the perfect guy by sleeping with him before marriage. She's telling you that you need to get out in the field and play at, play more. <laughs> You begin to think that your friend is right, and you're envious of wrongdoers. Maybe you're a married woman who is struggling with respecting your husband. You have a friend who is sassy and assertive in her marriage, and and you've worked hard at honoring God submitting to your husband, but your friend seems to be happier than you are. And you're wondering if you've made a mistake. You're envious of wrongdoers i am giving you these examples to show you that, that being envious of the wicked is a real issue. You agree? This is not a hypothetical situation or a, theological, or a theoretical exercise. Like, real lives are on the line here. Real marriages are on the line here. Real relationships are on the line here. And this is why Psalm 37 is so important. How can we fight the temptation to envy the wicked? David answers this question... In Psalm 37, he says to lift up our eyes and look ahead to the future that is ours in Christ. Look at verse 2. He says, For they will soon fade like grass and wither like a green herb. The wrongdoer may seem to be thriving today, but God will uproot him like a gardener pulling weeds here. 37 uh, calls us to look ahead to the future that God has in store for those who love him. And you can see this throughout the entire psalm. As he says it like five times, David repeats this uh, this major theme five times. He says, those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Now the phrase inherit the land goes back to the time when Moses led the people into the promised land. God gave them the land of Israel as their inheritance. Joshua led the people into the promised land 400 years before David even wrote this psalm. So David's not talking about that place, that physical place an earthly inheritance, because the people had already had it. He is thinking about a much better land, the inheritance of heaven. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for their inheritance beyond this world too. Abraham and Sarah was waiting for a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. If you're a Christian, you are looking beyond this world, for your inheritance. The Apostle Peter opens his letter this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, listen to this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You could take those last three words right there and preach an entire sermon series on that unperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. When Psalm thirty-seven nine says, Those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land, David is looking forward to heaven. He is looking forward to eternity with his King Jesus. Our Lord Jesus looked ahead for, to these blessings that God promised him. Hebrews 12 says that for joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is our example, and he looked ahead beyond the wickedness that seemed to be winning at the time. Psalm 23 contains a number of like proverbs that could stand alone, but I'm going to attempt to get through the entire psalm this morning because I want to impress Jeff because that's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and if you have don't have this, Lucky's going to pass this out for you. Um, I'd love for you guys to follow along with me as we go through this. So what I'm going to do is uh, David gives us like six ways to fight this temptation to to envy the wicked. So if you're following along with your notes, the first one is this. To fight this temptation to envy the wicked, we must trust. There's your word you need to fill in. Trust in the Lord. To fight this temptation to envy the wicked, we must trust in the Lord. In verses 3 through 9 contain a, a, a dozen of commands to center our hearts upon God, and then four of those commands directly refer to the Lord, and they appear to be the main headings for this section. David tells us in verse 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. In order to trust in the Lord, you have to have faith. (laughs) It is an act of faith. Believing in God's promises, that that his promises are true, is an act of faith. And he says, while you dwell in this land, man, you better have some faithfulness. You need to befriend faithfulness. You need to make faith your friend. You need to make faith your friend, believing in God's promises that they are true and that he will keep his word and act in faith. I have a buddy that retired from the fire department. and He moved his, his, him and his wife to Minnesota. Who in the heck would want to live in Minnesota? I mean, I know it's beautiful like two months out of the year, but it's <laughs> cold the rest of the time, right? He gets a kick out of driving across frozen lakes in the winter. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and, and they plow the roads uh, um, on some of the bigger lakes, so, and it cuts out like a mile or more on your trip. And uh, he, he says every time he gets on the lakes, it's always nerve-wracking. He's always asking himself, like, is this going to hold? Is this going to mean, He gets on there, he's got the right tires. You know, they, he sees other cars and trucks on the ice. But every time he wonders, is this going to hold me? Similarly, we need to trust in God that his word is going to hold when we dwell in this place. David says, dwell in this place and make faith your friend. If we want to fight off uh, uh, the, the temptation to want what evil doers want, we need to have trust in God's promise for us as we dwell. Do you trust in the Lord? Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Here's this. How played out is this verse? How played out? How many times have you heard this called a cliche? Hands up in the air. Never call God's word cliche. There ain't nothing cliche about that. That tells you, you have, that, that, that he has plans for your welfare, he, that, that it, he, it is not evil, and to give you a future and a hope. Man, solid rock I stand <laughs> on this one. I need this, guys. We need this. If, if this isn't a, a, a solid foundation by which we are standing, we are going to look at others and go, hmm, maybe they do have it better than me. Maybe I should compromise my faith. Maybe I should step out and do something that I know is wrong to get some earthly gains. Do you trust in the Lord? Isaiah says, from, <clears throat> from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No, I has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Faithfulness, trusting in the Lord. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory. Do you see that? No, if you're a Christian, you have a glorious future awaiting you. A glorious future. Do you trust in the Lord? Do you need to ask God for for faith to be your friend today? Because faith seems so distant, and you haven't called on that faith in a bit. You haven't even texted that faith. To see what's up. Faith needs to be your friend. And if you trust in him, God will give you the strength to obey and do what is good. Number two in your notes. To fight the temptation, to envy the wicked, we must delight ourselves in the Lord. We must delight ourselves in the Lord. Verse four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So what does this really mean? Well, before I was converted, I, I, never did, I didn't think much about God. I didn't think that he was beautiful and precious to me. I didn't, I didn't find him satisfying. But when I was saved, God opened my eyes to his beauty and his glory. Jesus was like, man, I'm serious. That was my testimony. Like the sky was bluer. Like the air was fresher. The weight was off. I saw Jesus and he was beautiful. I saw it for myself that that, that Jesus himself was the most attractive and beautiful being in the universe. I was overwhelmed by his kindness and his goodness and his power and his majesty and his grace and his mercy and his love and his care and his tenderness. And I don't know where it was. It was about three or four years in, I'm going, yeah, I love Jesus. Just like every other relationship I've been in. It's it's hot. It's it's great in the beginning, and it's beautiful in the beginning, and then it's just kind of. Mm. You are delighting in the Lord. It's almost like re- like dating. You're just delighting in the Lord, and it's amazing. And my relationships are so good. And then suddenly it's like, yeah, me and Jesus, we good. So so. So the beauty of Jesus. The glorious awesomeness and amazingness of Jesus, is it still there? Do we delight in him? What are we delighting in? What really has our affection? What really has our affection today? You'll know it. You're thinking of it right now. It's two games today or something. like. (laughs) I'm pulling for them, man. They were playing good last week. But what, ha- what has your heart? Do you delight in Jesus? When I, when I met Jesus, I was overwhelmed by his kindness, his goodness, his power, his majesty. And the first time I tasted and saw that the Lord was good. Listen to what David says in Psalm 27. He says, I ask one thing from the Lord. It is, that it is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all, of, all the days of my life, gazing, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. <laughs> what a beautiful thing to want. If we have God, family, we have everything. And nothing on earth compares to Jesus. We often focus on the second half of this verse like, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But if we truly delight in the Lord, the one thing that you will want above all else is him. That's what he's saying. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You'll find that everything comes from him. This is the beauty of Christianity that God gives himself to us. He gives himself to us. And as he gives himself the whole world, not, I mean, you can have the whole world and, and have nothing if you don't have Jesus. What would it be For someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. Hardly makes any sense. When we envy the wicked, the problem is that uh, it's not that we want too much stuff. The problem is that as our eyes wander away from God, we we try to find joy and satisfaction and peace in cheap substitutes. We delight in a car or a promotion or a phone call from a boyfriend or money in the bank account. It's not going to give you what you need. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He put it this way. He says, it would seem, to be, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We need to open our eyes to see the glory and the beauty and the kindness and the majesty and the grace and the mercy and the love and the care and the tenderness of Jesus. He is far and away the best and most satisfying thing we could ever desire. If the God of the universe gives himself, the world now becomes ours because it all belongs to him. Number three in your notes. To fight this temptation to the envy, the wicked, we must commit our way to the Lord. The word is commit in your notes. Commit our way to the Lord. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. The word commit here uh, literally means to roll. Roll the burden of life onto the Lord. Let him carry the worries and anxiety. Let him worry about your reputation. The Apostle Peter calls us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for you. What did you come in here today carrying that is far too heavy for you to carry? And it is a flat-out burden. I'll admit it. Um, I consider my Jeff, not only my brother, but almost like a spiritual father. And there was uh, his text to me when before he went into surgery. He was like, dude, this is serious. And I was just like, no, God. <laughs> no. And I'm like, casting all my burdens on you right now for Jeff. I can't do nothing about it. It was too heavy for me to carry. It's still heavy for me to think about. What did you come in here today holding that is far too heavy for you to carry? That God is calling you right now to roll it on to me. Commit it to me. We are going to fight the temptation to envy the, the evildoers and wrongdoers, we need to roll our cares upon Jesus. Number four in your notes. To fight the temptation of, uh, to envy the wicked, we must be still before the Lord. So again, I told you like some of these verses here, uh, they could just stand alone as Proverbs, but but, uh, verse seven says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Some of us want to go and start right with this verse, but we, we cannot understand why we find it so hard to be quiet in our hearts and find peace. And, and I believe that the reason is that we can only find this place by following the path that David has already let us down. So we need to decide that we are going to trust in God and believe in his promises. We need to commit our hearts to him and delight in him. We need to commit our plans to him and let him carry our burdens and cares and concerns. And then and only then will you be still and have peace. David writes, Be still before the Lord, verse 7. Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger Forsake and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Well, there's a ton here. It is easy to get angry when the wicked man or woman seem to be so happy and successful. We need to be still and refrain from anger, David says here. An angry man or woman is vulnerable. And and verse 8 says that it tends only to evil. Only to evil. Norm Evans was an all-pro quarterback for the Miami Dolphins in 72. 72 was like their best best year. They had 14-0. Um... He learned that it is important to keep your cool on the field. It's really dangerous for a pro, play- pro football player to get angry. In fact, uh, what, that's, what a, a line, that's when a li- a linemen sustain their worst injuries is when they're angry. Evans said this. He says, anger is so harmful in football that if I can get the opposing lineman angry at me, he will concentrate on beating me and forget to attack the quarterback. That's my job, protecting the quarterback. In the same way, a wide receiver might might get to the defensive back angry. He might try to get the the DB angry. He gets into his head so that he can fool him on the next play. Satan wants to get in our heads. He tempts us to get angry when we see the godless person uh, with something that we want. He turns turns us into believing that we, we don't have enough. We get angry at that. And then he has us where he wants us, our head and our heart out of the game. David's re- remedy for this is to be still, wait patiently, and don't get angry. David ends this section with the, with the theme verses. He says, Evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse five, in, or, or number five in your notes. To fight this temptation to envy the wicked, we must remember the fate of the wicked. We got to play with the end in mind here, right? David represents, uh, presents this verse through 10 through 20, and he, in a series of contrasts between the faithless and the faithful, and he opens the, 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 uh, in the opening verse in this section, sets the tone. It may seem like the ungodly are getting ahead and God's people are getting the short end of the stick, but but with eyes of faith, we know better. Look at verse 10. He says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in an abundance of peace. Jesus quotes verse 11 here in one of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the meek, for for they shall inherit the earth. In the context of Psalm 37, the meek are are patiently waiting for God to remove the wicked. We have to remember the fate of the wicked. They are going to be taken out. It takes strength to wait for God. But the meek uh, are, are going to last. When he says... Uh, he will remove every trace of the wicked from the earth, and the meek shall inherit the land. That's, that's you if you're a Christian. And what are the wicked doing while we're waiting for God? This is like not an invitation verse for, for like new believers. The wicked plots against the righteous. They plot against you. And gnashes his teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. Oh, could we have such confidence? I wouldn't want to put myself in the Lord's shoes and start laughing at wicked people. But but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart. (laughs) They're going to die in their own sword. And their bows shall be broken. You remember the story of Esther. Haman planned to kill Mordecai on the gallows he had constructed, and, pl- and and plotted to destroy all of the Jews. But God had other plans, and Haman the story. As the story turns, Haman ends up dying on his own gallows. Now, shameless plug for me. I've got. I just published a book in um, December called Esther. It is. Uh, it says uh, you were born for such a time as this, and. Um, we live in a world that is so polarized, and as Christians, we need to be people. We need to be people who decide where our loyalties lie, because we turn on the news, and the wicked are prospering, and it doesn't seem like we are. And and and, and so we need to do. The, uh, uh, the, I try to do my best to show in this book that 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 how good Jesus is, how He is still working today, and that how He wants to write you into the story. It's a conversational piece. It's super easy read. I want you to pick it up. And it's a shameless plug because all of the proceeds go to encounter youth, every bit of it. And so please help support it. But listen, more importantly, it's aimed to give you the confidence that God is still working. He will return one day and he will take up his bride. The dead in Christ will rise first and then he's going to call us all home with him. He will judge the living and the dead. He will establish his kingdom right here on earth. He hasn't abandoned his uh, earth He will not abandon earth. Humans were made for it. And he's going to establish his kingdom on earth where there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more sin anymore. And this is going to happen. And so the book of Esther, and I write this, how King Jesus writes us into his story, we need to be kingdom people. And we need to be following our king. And we need to to stick our feet planted in the kingdom of God. And you need to choose where your loyalties lie. Is it in the kingdom of God? Or is it in the kingdom of this world? We are called to be ambassadors of this world. If you're an ambassador for Christ, that means this is not your world. We're waiting for the new one. And it's coming. And no administration, no governments are going to stop it. He is the king over those. Amen? I was also honored to have Pastor Jeff write the foreword of that book, and so at least you'll have three pages that you'll like. (laughs) back to the text so in verses 16 through 20 uh, the wicked seem to be wealthy and powerful they have an abundance they seem secure and strong but look at verse 18 the lord knows their days he knows the days of the of the blameless as well God is not simply like, mentally aware of the days of his people like an impartial observer. God fights their battles and provides for them. And when trouble comes, the, faith will, 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 are, the faithful will have an abundance. This is going to happen. We need to get on board. We need to follow Jesus. The faithless will vanish like smoke. They will disappear in judgment. If you do not look ahead to see the fate of the wicked, you could easily be tempted to envy them. Many seem to be so successful and secure, but as we read in verse 10, it is just a little while and the wicked will be no more. David ends this section with his theme. Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Number six in your notes, last one. To fight this temptation of envy, we must believe that God will bless his people. This word "bless" is also kind of thrown around a little bit too much. How you doing, blessed? How you doing? I'm blessed. But well, why are you saying you're blessed? Because you feel good? There's money in the account? There's, you know, fill in the blank. Why do you, why do you feel blessed? Do you feel blessed because you belong to Jesus? and there's an inheritance waiting for you? We need to believe that God has and will bless those who please him. David summarizes this section with the opening verse. He says, The steps of the man are established by the Lord, verse 23, when he delights in his way. And how does this happen? David gives an example of his personal experience. As a mature man, he has witnessed God's hand in his life. Look at verse 25. He says, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. This speaks to one of the ways that uh, we are especially vulnerable. Many of us would want to trust God with all sorts of things, but as a father, I worry about our children. (laughs) And here it says that God will take care of them. So I don't have to worry about them. I just have to remind myself of what verse 26 says. It says, he is he is ever lending generously, and his children will become a blessing. Oh man, I hold on to that verse. And I spent most of the '90s like like chasing drugs and and thinking that that was the good life. And uh, all those roads led to paths of destruction, but God was faithful in my life, and I'm His child. And and his children will become a blessing. Are you a blessing? Are you a blessed child of God? And are you a blessing? This morning, I want to encourage you to trust in God's plan and for your life that, and that it is the good life, and to fight the temptation of envious, wicked people. You don't have to pay close attention to see that our culture is obsessed with stuff. Consumerism is a, is a real religion. And we deny it sometimes, but we secretly want to be like those people because deep down we believe that it is the good life, and it's not. It's empty substitutes that can never satisfy. David ends this section by saying this, verse 28, he says, "...for the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell forever." So again, trusting in God's plan for our life, that it is the good life, and fighting against the temptation. Verse 28 says, do good, and then verse 28 shows us what the meaning of that is. He says, live lives of justice. God loves just, the just. The word just here means to treat people with equality, not having one standard for people and another for others. I don't know if this is just a God movement thing here at Generations, but this is probably one of the most diverse, ethnically diverse churches that I've preached in in 15 years. You should applaud that. That's awesome. (laughs) Amen? It's fantastic. It looks like the kingdom of God in here. I'm digging that. We need some people from like Europe or something now. Yeah, we, can you get some people with the accent? You all got someone with the accent here, don't you? I know you do. Yeah. I don't know why I said that. That was dumb. But, <laughs> but the Bible says this in Leviticus it says, You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. It also says, Caring for the rights and the needs of the poor, the immigrants, the widows, and orphans. Listen to what Zechariah says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. God loves the just. It is an essential characteristic of those the Lord loves and delights in. When you start thinking of others more than yourself, you'll start thinking less about envying wicked people. Maybe you'll start looking at their hearts. And maybe you'll, you'll start sharing the gospel with them. That would be kind of weird. We're Christians. Like, whoa, I want to be like them. Well, you want to be a sinner that's going to hell and that will wither? It doesn't make sense to me. Listen to how this psalm wraps up. He says, I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourish like a luxuriant native tree. But he will soon pass away and, and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace, but all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteousness comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in a time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they can take refuge in in him. If you're a Christian, the righteous in this psalm is you. And God has an amazing future, and you can take refuge in him. If you're not a Christian, verse 37 calls you to consider the blameless. Observe the upright. And then it says, a future awaits those who seek him, who seek peace. The only blameless man that you should consider this morning is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only man who has ever sinned and who is ever truly blameless. He suffered at the hands of sinners and was killed. But observe the upright, because Jesus lives. God raised him from the dead, and he is now seating at the right hand of glory. Jesus is the ultimate man of peace that you must seek today. Come to him and bring your sin. Repent. Put your faith in him. God will give you a future, an everlasting kingdom that will never pass away. A future awaits those who seek this peace. Ultimately, if you're tempted to envy the wicked, you need to look to Jesus. You need this good news. You need this gospel. You might be someone who wants to fit in. You might be single and you want that boyfriend or girlfriend. You have, you have obeyed God, but it doesn't seem like everybody else is much more happier than you, and you're tempted to want to be like them. But what you really need is to turn to Christ. He will satisfy your soul. Those who come to him thirsty, that drink, will never be thirsty again. The good life is hidden in Jesus. Our future is in Jesus Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead through him. God has given us an inheritance in heaven that will never fade away. Don't envy the wicked and their stuff. Trust in the Lord that his plan is good. Fight the temptation of envious wicked people. And if you're not a Christian, seek Jesus. Seek peace, and you'll find it in Christ. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, you are so good to give us this psalm. You are so good uh, that it is just so clear. Uh, it's just so easy to understand. Uh, Father, I just pray that it will bring hope to the saved and salvation to the lost. I hope that, God, that we would you would help us in our walk, that we would befriend faith, that we would walk with you and 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 God, always have our future in mind when we see the things around us and we we fall and slip into envious thinking. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us, Lord, to delight in you. Help us, Lord, to commit our lives to you. Help us, Lord, to trust you and bless you, that you will bless us. God, as we respond in worship, let our hearts pour out to you right now. As we meet with you at the communion table, Lord, let us bring our sin, our shame, let us bring our envy, and be forgiven, and remember what you secured for us on the cross, a future and a hope. Father, you are so good to us, you love us, and we're grateful for it. Spirit, come meet with us today, as we respond to you now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.